So are you ready to go? Yeah. Good to have you back here. Thanks. How was that coffee? Yeah, the coffee was good. That's uh, uh, It's a good selling point to come and do these podcasts, John. I didn't make it myself, but I bought it around the corner. No, it's a good coffee shop. Bit disappointed. Why? Who's missing from this studio? Remy's missing. I know. But she's at, she's at home with her uh, stepsister who has a disability. Okay. I'll take that back. So the other one's had surgery and she had two slip discs on her back legs in December. So she still hasn't got full function of her back legs yet. Oh, is she going to be okay? Is that just a time? Oh, we don't know yet. So she'll probably never walk properly again, but she'll have some form of walking. So we call her Quasimodo at the moment. Quasimodo. (laughs) (laughs) So she kind of, she, she crawls around, but it's quite, it's, sad but we're doing everything we can she's at physio every week and oh um, wow so they're keeping each other company today next time <laughs> yeah next time i'll bring it next time. i'll have to call by your clinic and get a pat so. yeah of course but um so i feel like i'm going to hijack your podcast series for the next three episodes and talk about your journey how do you feel about that i feel okay but let's go for it so i guess i want to know about george so tell me about George. George. He, it's been over 10 years since George actually passed away. Um, so George, George came into mine and my then wife's life by chance. We, we just moved, we just got married in 2003, moved into a house in 2004. And we had decided early on that kids weren't in the equation, but not, fur kids and I, I was dying after the farm days and after the Labradors had passed away. It'd been so long since I'd had a dog in my life that I could call my own. And I found him online. Actually there was a girl that had to was trying to adopt him because she was had had a relationship breakdown and she was working away and she just wanted a good home for him to go to. And she couldn't look after him? She couldn't because she was away for two, three weeks at a time. And that's how we we just did a big sell on her, brought him around. He was two years old then, fully grown, big black puppy. And And what breed was he? Labrador. Labrador. Black Labrador. So so we ended up adopting him and I just, I was in love. I was in absolute love. He was like my shadow. I think he loved my, my then wife a bit more. So you think she had a closer bond with him or did you have a closer bond? I, I think we both did, yeah. for, um, but I was just trying to win him over. Labrador food. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so that's, um, that's how George came into to my life and he was my baby. He was, I'd, I'd, I'd even hate going on holidays. We'd have to make a phone call back to make sure that he's okay. Mm-hmm. And how was your life different when he came or after he came into it? It was just, um, he, he just brought this love, this consistency into my life. He, there was something missing before he came into my life and he just leveled me out in a sense that whatever was happening in this crazy life with work or whatever, he, he was, the, the moment in time I could spend with him was the time that I knew regardless of anything else that was uncontrollable that that would be our, our time. And it was just so, everything was so simple and the weekends were structured around taking him to the dog beach. So he just brought um, these elements into my life that didn't exist. Even as a child, 
growing up, we had dogs that we loved, but George, it was all about George. Mm -hmm. Everything was about George. And that must have been really special for you to experience. It was amazing. It was amazing. He brought out the kid in me again. The playfulness. The playfulness, yeah. I know. I know. He, um, I'd said, I was talking to someone, um, a while back and I wrote some words down that dogs connect us or reconnect us to a childhood that was swiftly erased by the seriousness of adulthood. And I like that. It's so true. And I hear and see people interact with their dogs and they get the squeaky voice happening like, mm-hmm. and they sing and they don't give a shit. No. It's just them and their dog and everyone does it. And I think dogs allow us to be so present in the moment because they're present and so you can't be anything else but they don't care whether you're happy or sad or care about the day that you've had or what you've done. They just, they're happy to see you and you can really get caught up in that moment. Yeah. And it's instant, isn't it? Mm-hmm. You go, okay, that wasn't such a good day. And the dogs don't care. No, they, they don't. They just go, right, okay, you're done with that human crap? Yeah, like, yeah. you're done with that? Play with me. Get the lead. Mm-hmm. And get the ball and put a couple of treats in your pocket. We're going to the park. Yeah, and they give you that sense of purpose and that something to look forward to. But then he got sick. He did get sick, yeah. That was... Oh, we noticed like a weird skin condition, like a weird dryness on his on his skin to start with. And then we took him to the vet and did some tests but couldn't really pick it. But then we noticed it happening a little bit more and more. So we decided to, he got referred to a specialist and they did a biopsy. And then it was terrible to have the diagnosis of uh, lymphoma. Okay. At at that stage, I still didn't really know how serious it was. I I thought, well, me being a guy, we'll just fix it then. So. And how long had you had him before the diagnosis? Oh, he was about, so he was two when we got him. It was... Five years, five years we had George. Mm-hmm. So I do remember I was driving, taking him back and I phoned my then wife and said, look, I don't really know what this means, but um, he's got lymphoma, cutaneous lymphoma, so it's affecting the skin. And she, I think that was the moment that she understood more than me because she was going through a really bad patch. Her dad had died, her mum I think it just died as well. A friend was very sick with cancer and she said to me, please tell me George is not going to die as well. I said, George is not going to die. We'll just fix it. Uh, and looking back at that moment now, it was just so significant. I I forget a lot of things, but significant moments. I know exactly the spot I was on the freeway when I rang her. Um, so from there, we just decided to have him on chemo, chemotherapy. And what's chemo like for a dog? For a dog, I mean, he wasn't, he was going well for a while and then he wasn't. I noticed his, when he was weeing in the backyard, like it would burn the grass, it was killing the grass. Yeah, okay. I don't think he was doing so well on it, so I I made the decision going, no, he's, he's not staying on chemo. But I was still in full belief that he'd be, that he'd survive. And did, had the vet said anything about his prognosis or what they expected from treatment? They did. They spoke to me for hours uh, over the period of time, but in all honesty, most of it 
I blocked out. It just went over my head. Oh, you because just heard what you wanted to hear. I heard what I wanted to hear, but I didn't actually know how serious it was all going to become. Yeah, he was doing really well, and then he wasn't. And so that must have been really difficult to see his decline. What I did believe was dissipating mm-hmm. day by day. I was still hoping and hoping that, you know, he'd wake up and then his condition would improve, but it was quite the opposite. And, yeah, I was just, um, I was starting to, starting to grieve once I started to think this is, might not end up the way, the way that um, you wanted. I wanted. And then so how did you make the decision to make the call? Yeah, that was that was the hardest. I think I, I think I knew that it was coming, but there was a day just before um, I was driving on the freeway back from work, and I had to stop. I just I knew somehow that the day after was not going to be not going to be good because the we spoke to our vet, and she said, "Would can you bring George in? We'd like to. I'd like to see him." The, the condition was really affecting his front paws and then she checked his back paws and then looked up at me and said, John, it's, it's spread, it's really bad. And that was, I knew then, he was, he was suffering, but I knew that was the end. That was, it was the worst moment of my life, that right moment. That and what did you feel in that moment? Just complete, right, I just lost it, completely lost it. I was, I was... Um, just devastated. I, I couldn't speak. Everything, every worst, the worst outcome that I didn't believe would happen, it just exploded on me just then. So it was almost like you were in denial for a long time and then this realisation came over you that he wasn't going to make it and that you had to make the call and then you felt helpless to do anything about it. That's exactly right. I just thought that he would get better. I remember carrying him to the car and putting him in the back and just crying the whole way home and then having to tell my wife when I got home that what it, what's about to happen and and I hated myself because I couldn't save him hated myself and that would and that would take me a long time for me not to hate myself is there anything you think you could have done differently though no, looking back, no, no. We every every possible angle or everything we tried on George. I just it wasn't enough. I couldn't fix him. I couldn't save him. So what happened was we spoke about myself and my then wife spoke about how it was going to go with stabilising him on medication for a couple of days and. Then I think it was the next morning that we were bandaging up his paws and he was just, George just looked at me and I could tell, he was telling me, I, I can't do this anymore. So I said to my then wife, I said, stop, stop, stop what you're doing. And then I rang our vet and she asked if would um, she like to come now. And I said, no, we need two more days with him. So we had him stabilised on pain medication. And then that was the 
that was the call. That was the booking. That was the appointment of going, well, you know, you do, you book a lot of things in your life. You make a lot of reservations, but one that would effectively end George's life was, it was horrifying, but it had, I had to put my own emotions to one side. It, it was about breaking my own heart so that he could feel no more pain. And so that kind of sounds like to me that you did save him. I mean, in in the moment, it was, it was, um, it's hard to really explain. Now, I know now, but back then, sure. it was completely different. I was... It was like this desperate chaos that you can't... <laughs> do anything to fix and change and it's all sort of unfolding without any control. That's pretty much, that's very accurate, uncontrollable, emotional, just destruction. And then, so how did you prepare for the end? So it, it was going to be Monday morning. Um, so we had the night before, we took him to the park. Um, he couldn't, he couldn't walk. I mean, he, he was just he could walk, but he, it was too painful. So we just carried him to the park. He sat there and a couple of dogs went by. Would normally he'd sprint to them, <laughs> but he just sat. Being and, a lab. I know, being a lab, crazy Labrador. I spent the night just cuddling him on the floor in the bean bag. We, we took some sand from the backyard where he used to love to dig and put in like a little, a little bag for him to take. We cut off some of our hair so that he had some of our DNA to take. We, we wrote some letters. I wrote my letter to George. My then wife wrote her letter to George. I folded it up and put, the, put it in a little bag too. And some carrots, because he loved his carrots. Mm -hmm. And he um, was looking at the bag because he could smell the carrots. <laughs> that, oh, right to the what, end. Right to the end. Don't worry, George. They're for you, mate. And then I remember the night before, just his heavy, his breathing was heavy. We, of course, we knew it was time. But the next morning waking up, our, my morning ritual was make a breakfast smoothie with banana. I'd always snap a piece off of, of the top and pass it to him. And, and he'd hear the click of the, the blender flicking on and he'd always be right there. That, and that was one of the hardest moments of that. He wasn't there that morning and and then at a couple of minutes past eight in the morning, my vet and her vet nurse turned up and so it, and it all happened quite quick and seamless. And in all honesty, it wasn't the hardest thing about it. Because I was just numb. It just happened so quick. And then I remember the words. He's, he's with the stethoscope on his heart, on his chest. And she just said that he's gone. And, yeah, it was... The hardest bit was carrying him to the car in his blanket and placed him in the back, just rubbing his back. And I remember it now, rubbing his velvet ears between my fingers and just rolling them and kissing his head and saying goodbye and and then closing the back of the, the hatch on the car and then that was that. And then what happened? Walking back inside the house, 
and I can I can feel it so so closely right now. The house stopped breathing when George left. The it wasn't home anymore. Of course, it was home, but it was just completely empty. Empty. It was it was terrible. It was terrible, but I was still numb. There's a certain, I don't know what you can call it, but obviously there's, and maybe it's a guy thing, but there's a process, there's an order of things that you do in your life that you you complete and you tick. And that's kind of the space that I was in, that this is what has to happen, this is what's going to happen then. Very matter of fact. Very, Mm -hmm. very. And then... My friend, Alad Plant, had taken the day off. He knew how George, special George was to both of us. So he turned up at about 9, 9.30 and then a lot of people knew what was going to happen on that day. So flowers started to arrive. It was lovely. It was lovely. People started to drop things off and go. No one was staying. And my mate Al turned up. It was really strange. He said, what time did George pass away? And I said, I think it was about 15 minutes past eight in the morning was the time. And he said that he was asleep on the couch at home and he just felt this presence and he was just pushing it away, but it was friendly. And he said the time was about eight sixteen, about a minute after George passed away. And he's not a guy that ever tells stories or doesn't he just said there was this thing that was waking him and you know i believe i believe it was george going get your ass off the couch and go see my dad go see my dad bring wine bring (laughs) lots of wine wine helps with many things wine definitely helped that day but um and it sounds like people were really respectful of what you were experiencing and the loss that you were going through Everyone knew how, like I do with them, you know, you, we know each other's dogs, we know each other's lives, we, and they knew how special, they knew how special George was to my life and my then wife's life, because that's all I'd ever talk about. Mm-hmm. I'd talk about his day at the park, his day at, he didn't go to school or whose leg he'd humped or tried to hump or sure. what he'd done at the... But yeah. <laughs> Remember late in the day and I was kind of, I was tired, I was numb, I was emotional and just pissed off. Mm-hmm. And I remember going to the bathroom and just staring in the mirror and just hating myself but angry at anyone. And I just started talking, I think, to God. Just saying, how dare you take my dog? How dare you could take uh, taken me? And then on the flip side, I'd said, you don't even exist. And if you did, give me a sign now. And then I started hearing these st- this noise on the roof. And then the heavens erupted to the largest storm that Perth's experienced the last 20 years. Oh, no way. The big hailstorm, yeah. March the 22nd. So... I don't believe that was my conversation that created that for a second, but it's just a crazy coincidence that about 30 seconds of staring into the mirror, just hating on anyone that came into my head, 
Oh, there's going to be a sign. Here we go, Johnny. And, and what do you think, what did that sign mean for you? I think it made me actually laugh because no, I, I went, what oh, the shit. fuck? Um, I was just, I don't know. Was, I it, think, was it validation that you did the right thing or? I, I knew, I knew that um, I, I was never I was never guilty about having to put George to sleep ever, not for a second. I wasn't, it wasn't about that. He was in pain. He needed to go. If I had, I didn't have any guilt. I was just hating on myself because I couldn't save him. Um, I know now, I know fully well now looking back that man, I've, we gave it a good crack. That boy was, he was sore and he, I don't think George would, George wanted to go. He didn't want to go, but he didn't want to live in pain. Sure, and we all have twenty twenty vision in hindsight. We certainly do. We certainly do. But um, no, it was yeah. After he left, um, it was just awful. I mean, how to describe it is is in a in a dropper like a water dropper, taking every single bit of pain that I've had previous in my life, like coming off my motorbike, breaking bones. You know, been smashed around playing Aussie Rules football would be like a dropper or one actual droplet into a massive pot on the stove. And that massive pot was my absolute agony over losing George. So all of the pain that you just mentioned was physical pain. This pain that you're experiencing with George was emotional pain. It was terrible. I was just, I'd never experienced grief i'd never experienced like you say emotional pain like that where i just couldn't escape it i i, I didn't know what to do i i just wanted him back I, I i wanted something so badly that i knew i couldn't have and all i wanted was george back that's all i didn't give a shit about anything else in life and so how did it impact other areas of your life after he left like work relationships I think um sleeping I think sleeping was it was weird I didn't dream of him I dreamt of him twice but I I wanted to I'd go to sleep in pain I'd go to sleep in pain I'd I think I was getting really tired I was just it's really hard to know how it's impacting I kind of just carried on with life and just carried it with me. Mm-hmm. I didn't... Like try to push it down or... Well, I definitely didn't seek any help. Looking back now, yeah. to be in so much pain and is... I, I needed help. It was it was hard because there was so much going on in our family where my wife was grieving the loss of her dad, her mum, her friend had passed away then. So it was... I just felt very, very lonely, very isolated. Like alone with your own grief? Alone. Alone. Didn't speak about it. When I did try to speak, one particular person, lo- lovely guy, he just said, what, you're still hurting about that? What still? Mm-hmm. Uh, so dismissive of that. What I've found on this point that most people, in my experience, are very compassionate and very understanding. But you get that one prick or that one, call them whatever you want, I've got lots of names, but I won't sure. turn them all down. Otherwise, this will get an X rating. Just say, get over it. It's just a dog. And and that's what sticks. That's what sticks. That's, that's often what we remember, that one really negative or 
inconsiderate, uncompassionate sort of comment that it's like really fires us up and makes us angry. Yeah. Of all the compassionate things that were said to me, you're dead right, Tyler. The ones that stick are, oh, for crying out loud, loud, John, it's just a dog. Or just get another one. Yeah. And it just these cliches, it rolls off the tongue of these mofos so nicely. Of all the words they could use, like, hi, oh, man, I'm sorry, I don't understand, but you're in pain, like, let's... Yeah. And um, I guess what kind of just popped into my head is your wife, well, your then wife had had a lot of loss of her own, her dad, her friend, and how was George's loss comparable to that? Was it was it comparable? Was it sort of a similar kind of experience? For her or for... for both of you. Um, I'm not really sure because we never really could speak too much about George because... There was too much going on. There was too much grief in that household. Sure. Um, so I just, we never really spoke. I mean, I know the grief was impacting her, but it was like a massive, the loss of, and seeing her having to go through that was, it was, it was terrible. I mean, I was grieving as well, but these were her family it's so close mm-hmm. where I'd only known them for, say, 15 years. That's still a long time. Mm. It was ter- It was terrible. It just, it was... It was a complete meltdown of... And did you feel like you had to be strong and sort of um, suck it up, so to speak? Absolutely. For her, to help her cope yep. with the loss she was experiencing yep. and you couldn't then seek support for your own grief? Yeah, I just I had to suck it up. That's what I felt anyway. I couldn't mm. approach it, talk about it. You know, I, I, was, I was definitely in meltdown, but I just... Never spoke about it. And so tell me about his red bandana. <laughs> the red bandana. He became known, he had about three or four of them, different mm-hmm. colours, but the red was the favourite. He he always had had it on, when it wrapped around his collar when he'd go out. And people would say, oh, look at his bandana, isn't it so cute? So after he passed away, um, the red bandana has stayed with me. Okay. And whenever I travel especially overseas, the red bandana comes with me. It keeps me safe. That stays with me um, everywhere. If I do short trips around, I don't take take it, but definitely travelling overseas, it comes with me. It, it's, um, yeah, it's just a little part of George, a little sentimental part that used to be wrapped around his, uh, around his neck and now it stayed, that stays in the studio with me. And so was there anything that you couldn't do after he passed away? Well, there was, I, I couldn't go back to the park where we used to walk, not, couldn't go back to the dog beach because it's kind of something missing if you go to the dog beach. It's, but then again, I know a lot of friends that don't have dogs and they can't, they go to the dog beach just so they can pat dog. <laughs> but, um, I used to do that in the UK, go walk down the street because I miss my dogs. Oh my God, that's so brilliant. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Um, so you couldn't you couldn't go back to the dog park. I couldn't go back to the park and the beach. Couldn't go couldn't go back to the beach. Definitely the park. But um, the things I couldn't escape was being at home. So I would um, I'd go outside. I'd always top his water bowl up. I'd never let that go dry. I'd top it up when it started to get a bit manky. I'd take it inside, wash it, and top it back up because I thought that well, one his spirit's still here. And, and if he wants a drink, he can. He's got to be able to have a drink. And could you feel him around you? Yes and no. 
I I felt him close when I would, like you said, with the bandana, rub that in my hand or top the water up. But also I was really, really wanting him, wanting to feel him closer. But at that stage, he was just so far away because all of those beautiful, happy memories that I had of him, I couldn't even think of because they were painful. They had taken these memories like, simple around the house uh, hanging out together sitting on the couch with me were just so beautiful and now they weren't there or they couldn't happen anymore I couldn't think about it so I started to really block him out of my mind while dealing with this shit fight of thing going on inside of me and just trying to get on with it and I think it's interesting it's physical pain in some ways is much easier to deal with because a cut heals that internal pain needs to be worked on you need to work at it and if you don't it manifests in in other ways and comes out in other ways i didn't it was a it was a crazy beast i was dealing with and so what would you do differently now in terms of how you coped with your grief looking back looking back with george if i I would talk more Mm -hmm. i'd share more but with not with just anyone. I would find my person. I'm a strong believer. It's absolutely one of those one of those things that it's it's good to re- to reflect on and recognise that there are yeah. people out there who you can talk to, but it's about choosing who you share that with and be vulnerable with, because not everybody understands or has the capacity to hold you in that space. I agree, and that's what I found with thinking that well I'll just say it and everyone will understand and then to get shut down one in an innocent not non-way and the other from a real a bullshit way and I'll just go okay well I'll shut up and and just deal with it I can't imagine you shutting up easily um I'm trying to think of something (laughs) funny to come back on that one but I reckon you've just got me straight there I'm not going to pick a fight with you you'd you, yeah, you don't do, pick a fight with me. Anyway. Not, yeah, <laughs> you do this for a living, so I'm just thinking, <laughs> go, leave. No, 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 no and, don't do and that. And so I guess, is there anything else you wanted to share with your listeners about George and what he he meant to you and your experience of grief around him? It was so hard losing George. It was just the worst time of my life um, because I just wanted, I just wanted him back. I just wanted to... I just wanted to take what we'd already done together and just do it for another hundred years. And looking back about George, if I had to make a deal with myself that, okay, you're not going to experience this grief, but in order for him to not experience this grief, you're not going to have the journey with him. I I still every now and then it just bites and I'm I'm happy with that. And then Mm -hmm. it's replaced quickly. So I don't Mm -hmm. stay in in the ditch, in the, in the mud where I was at all with, with that. And I just remind myself, well, the grief was a very small price to pay for the beauty of that journey we had together. As, as much as I, I wouldn't wish that on myself again, but it was, it's like, not bring it on because we, I had those amazing years with him. And I think that's an important point. A lot of people don't want to feel that emotional pain and so avoid things in life or avoid having a meaningful life or avoid relationships with humans and animals or anything because they don't want to experience that pain of loss but then by wanting to avoid that you don't get to experience the pleasure of 
having those connections. When I get to the end of my time, I know with George, I won't be, I won't be looking back going, God, that was, that was so sad. I'll be looking back like I do every day going, oh my God, that's, that was like the best 10 minutes of my life or when he did this. But what, um, there was one significant moment in my life Mm -hmm. which would change everything. That George almost made space for. Yeah. Okay, tell me about that. I think that's in the next episode. I think it might be. But his name was Monty. I can't wait to hear about it. Okay. Okay. 